It is a principle of God's that a matter shall be established at the mouth of two or three witnesses. Now this is something which I taught the girls. Two or three witnesses. And I said to them, always go to the Lord's Prayer for guidance and always go to the beginning of a matter and work your way forward to find the original fault. In tomorrow's chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 19, we have the establishment of the cities of refuge. And these cities were for the manslayer to flee to in case someone was slain inadvertently. And an example is given where if a man goes to cut cut wood and his neighbour is there also, and he raises his hand to swing the axe down, but the axe head comes off and strikes his neighbour so that he dies. He should flee to one of these cities of refuge and be delivered, lest the avenger of blood overtakes him in his anger. So we see there that God knew that Accidents would happen, if we may call them such, or unfortunate circumstances occur. But he made provision for it. He made provision for everything, if we stop and think about it. And he need, we need not worry. Let's... <clears throat> take that to the extreme where we are tempted. God has made provision, hasn't he? We are told that he will always provide a way out. And whether we take that or not is up to us. But we see that this manslayer would obviously flee because there would be an avenger of blood pursuing him or her. This avenger of blood would be filled with anger and not thinking straight, not taking time to find out how the unfortunate event occurred. So we see that God made provision for such. And as the tribes of Israel expanded, initially there were three cities and then there were three more. So that the manslayer would be able to reach safety. We could, I suppose, translate that in our own lives 
not that we would be pursued by someone that's angry, but we, each of us, are manslayers. Having been baptized, we are supposed to have crucified the old man of the flesh. And the city that we flee to is one man, the high, where there is a high priest that would speak for us. Perhaps a deep thought, but nonetheless I, I believe it's there. Let's just have a look at chapter 19 and verse 15 also. This is talking, sorry, wait a minute, chapter 19 verse, yep, that's, I've got it, I had the wrong chapter then. Chapter 19 verse 15. This is the law concerning witnesses. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. So in other words, where it's my word against yours, as the saying in the world is, then no decision could be made unless there was further evidence which would in effect be a witness. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So there we have a promise of God of justice. If a false witness arises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. So they would then decide the matter. This didn't happen in the case of Naboth's vineyard. The priests and the judges weren't consulted. But we have this promise here that there should be judges who serve, that would seek out justice and the truth. Verse 18, the judges shall make careful inquiry. So we have a promise from God there that we can translate to our day and that if someone falsely accuses us of something and takes us to court, then there are judges that would carefully inquire. There is a difference in the dispensation of the judges in those days and today. When the false witness would arise in those days, those um, the judges shall make careful inquiry, verse 18, and if indeed the witness is a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother, then you should do to him 
as he thought to have done to his brother. And so shall you put away evil from among you. Yes, there's a promise there of God. This is what you will do and this is why you will do it. To put away evil from among you. So that if evil is not amongst us, then we have nothing to fear and we can concentrate on what we're supposed to be doing. Those who remain, verse 20, shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not commit such evil among you. Now there's a very good example of this happening in Solomon's time, wasn't there? We won't recount the story, but when Solomon pronounced his decision on who's the correct mother was for the child, everyone feared because of the wisdom that was in him. Verse 21, your eye shall not pity Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. That is not so in these days, which some would say is a pity. But here we have a principle, a promise from God that evil should be put away from us from them in those days, and we can translate that into our our lives. There are various expressions in the world, and one of them I want to focus on now to carry through these comments in each of our readings And, well, I'm going to give you two expressions. One you will probably have heard, perhaps not the other one so much. The first one is where people will say, see you later. It rolls off the tongue without thought. Because they probably aren't going to see them later in that particular day. They're off to their own separate homes. I experience it at work. And I counter it by saying, no, you won't. And it stops them in their tracks. And I explain why I've done it. Because you're thinking, you're saying, without thinking what you're saying. And they say, you're right, see you later. It's incredible. There's another expression which is said in perhaps a sarcastic tone... And this is the one I want to focus on because I want you to remember this. It said, if someone says they'll do something and the other person knows that they're not going to do it, they say, yeah, promises, promises, promises. I see one person nodding, they've heard it. Promises, promises, promises. It's a a sarcastic response. But we can think of it as a faithful response from God and from Jesus. God has promised to watch over us. Each of us in this room 
has promises made to us by God and they are promises that will be kept, never broken. For God cannot lie. So we can leave here with a positive reminder that what we are doing is what we've been asked to do for a specific reason to centre and focus our minds upon a promise. The promise of God is that he will judge this world in righteousness. And those judgments which we read in Deuteronomy chapter 19 will be put into force because God does not judge after the sight of the eyes or the hearing of the ears, which we do. He will judge righteously through that man who he has ordained. And he has given us an assurance in that he will do this insomuch that he has raised that man from the dead. Absolute, incredible, awesome promise. And if we try to follow in Christ's footsteps, we have another promise. It's in Matthew chapter 6 where it talks about consider the birds of the air, they neither sow nor do they reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And the lilies of the field, how glorious in splendor they are, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then the instruction But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then the promise, and all these things shall be added unto you. Food, clothing, shelter. We need not worry for these things. Our prime concern, and it's a lot easier said than done, is that we should walk in Christ's footsteps. God made a promise to Jesus. He made several. But the one that I want to focus on is the one that motivated him to carry on to do what had been requested of him. And it's this. For the joy that was set before him, he endured all things. For the joy that was set before him, he endured all things. Now, do you remember in one of his um, discourses where he says... Other sheep, which are not of this fold, I must also bring. That's a reference to you and I. 
Jesus had the Holy Spirit power of God without measure. And he could have looked forward in future times to see people being baptized, people remembering him in the bread and the wine. People, let's take this to its conclusion, having fellowship with him in the kingdom. I want you to turn to Psalm 22 now, if you would please. This is the psalm that Christ began to recite upon the cross. But there's a question I want you to think about before we read it. Why did he begin to recite this psalm? What purpose would that serve? David prays in great distress, it says, at the intro to this psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Now, stop a second. God, earlier in the scriptures, has said, and I believe it's in connection with Solomon, pardon me, my mercy shall never depart from him, but it's a reference to Christ. I will not forsake him, it says. And there's a bit of homework again, I'll have to find that one. But God says, I will not forsake him. So Christ would have known that God would not forsake him. So he's reciting this psalm to strengthen himself at the very last because he still could have failed his mission on that cross. He talks of God in verse 3, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They would, could have only have trusted if the promises were made to them. And he goes on to say in verse 6, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All, they, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Now, Christ, that would be so applicable to Christ especially upon that cross. Many strong bull, many bulls have surrounded me, verse 12. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouth like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me my strength is dried up like a potsherd. You have brought me to the dust of death. Isaiah 53. There is no comeliness in him that we should desire him. Grief was in every line. What a picture 
that must have been. What a sight to behold a man, an innocent man, who did no wrong, neither was any guile found in his mouth, and his end was like it was. Truly, he carried all our iniquities on that cross. But what I want you to do is to look at verse 22. So the end of verse 21 says, You have answered me. Verse 22. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. Christ knew that God would never forsake him. Even at the age of 12, he was contending with those who were supposed to know what the scriptures said. So Christ's belief and faith in his Father would be far superior to those. They would be strong enough for him to suffer this ignominy. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the earth, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship, worship you. Verse 31. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. That he, God, has done this. And then we move on to that wonderful Psalm 23. Promises. Promises that will never be broken. Let's move on to our middle reading, Deuteronomy 18. Sorry, um, not, Deuter- not Deuteronomy. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Talks about wisdom and folly. We are educated of both by the preacher and we are instructed in the ways of life. So there's a reason for having this written down so that we may become wise. We may read the Word of God, meditate upon it, and get wisdom, thereby allying, ourself, allying ourselves to the promises that we are so sure of. Verse 17. Words of the wise spoken quietly 
should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Sorry, that's in um, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes 10. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. There's another side to that coin, isn't there? If we get wisdom and keep it in our hearts and in our minds and desire it, for it is to be desired above gold and rubies. Then when we walk along the way, we will not lack wisdom. And people will see that we are wise. A serpent, verse 11, may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. I work with a lot of people who just love to talk and being different to them. I have experienced their sudden rounding upon me because I don't join in with their foolishness. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. Wisdom is to be desired. We have instruction on being wise and we have warnings on being foolish. Let's move to our reading in Acts chapter 9. Looking for a promise. Looking for wisdom. Now we think of Saul as he was growing up at the feet of Gamaliel, as he was discussing the scriptures with those of his sect, with his peers, with those who would teach him, with the leaders of the days. And we see him at the stoning of Stephen, looking after the coats of those that stoned Stephen. Did Stephen's death play on his mind? Did he wonder why a man should die like this, a man who was a gentle person? Did it linger in the back of his mind? In Paul's day, he went around persecuting the church and in his day, 
the main topic, I suspect, of discussion would have been the fact that Paul was doing these things and fear would have spread. But wisdom would counter that. Wisdom would refer back to promises made that no matter what came upon them, they would never be tried beyond which they were able to bear. And they could see that through the scriptures which they would know. Now many of them would not be able to read or write, but it's often thought that they had such excellent memories because they often recounted these things to each other. And it's a teaching principle that frequent recall aids retention. So, we see Paul persecuting the church. And on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by a light. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What an impact that would have had on him. All his knowledge would have frozen. He would not be able to think but of this one thing, the voice from this brilliant white light speaking to him. Why are you persecuting me? And all he could do was to ask the question, Who are you, Lord? Acknowledging the voice as being superior, perhaps. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What goads were these? Were these verses in scripture that were troubling him? Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Paul goes to the city and he is in a house. He is praying. He's had three days and nights to think. He's not had any food or water to distract him. He's been alone with his thoughts in darkness, racking his brain, thinking, how does this all fit together? What am I missing? And his prayers are answered. And he does receive a promise, although it perhaps wasn't said to him. But the promise was made to Ananias, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul's persecution of the church was to be turned through 180 degrees completely so that with the same extent that he persecuted the church, he would now promote it. And he would suffer great things in so doing. But he became 
related to the promises made to Abraham, as we learn in Ephesians, I think it is, that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. We are brought unto Christ, we are brought unto the promises. And so we remember now the man who made all these promises possible. He gave his life for us. That was secondary. The main purpose for his death and resurrection was to give honour and glory to God's name. And we can do likewise by following in his footsteps and keeping in mind those promises which are available to us. So let us walk wisely and let us keep those promises in the forefront of our mind.